Good morning, church. Today's scripture comes from Daniel chapter 6. If you can open up your Bibles, I'll be reading verses 1 through 14, 13. Right? It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them. The three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because of the excellent spirit that was in him. And the kingdom planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for the complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then this high official and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the council, counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the, of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had, window, had a window in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees. Three times a day, he prayed and gave thanks before his God. And as he'd done previously, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition, plea, a petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before, king, before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast and according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Good morning. We've been studying the book of Daniel. We're coming up to the midway point. <clears throat> we will kind of hit a climax here, and then we're going to take a break through the summer and come back <clears throat> in the fall. But this lesson has so much application for us today. Now, I have been setting up each message, pointing to this slide, and there it is, the city, and the Jews living in it are exiles. They were uprooted from their homeland. They're put in here. They have to live here where they're not the dominant culture. And, and the culture is trying to make them abandon their faith and absorb all the Babylonian values. And that's been a running theme through our study. Now, <clears throat> today is interesting because Daniel's gone through a lot. And yet today we're going to find his greatest test. And so I titled the message, Passing Our Greatest Test. 
What's the hardest test you've ever had? I mean, if you're a high schooler, you might think, be thinking SAT. If you're trying to become a citizen, it might be an immigration one. I mean, there's lots of kind of tests, but this is a test of something in here, <clears throat> a test of, the, of your faith, of your, of your moral fortitude. These can be the hardest tests. It could be a test where it's like, it's so hard that you want to abandon your belief in God. You want to say, I cannot believe you would allow this to happen. And with Daniel, a mix, it's a mix of all of this, and it's going to lead up to his greatest challenge. And so with that, having, having said that, we have two points to get out of those verses that Alex read. And the first one I titled, When Integrity Makes You a Target. You see, we've been talking all through the series about the wonderful integrity of Daniel, a man who <clears throat> was smart, but not just smart, educated, and really highly skilled at partic particular things to the type of job that he had, moral character, but also often described as a worker who had an excellent spirit, meaning that he didn't just get things done by running people over. People, people really respected him because of how he carried himself. And yet you would think that that kind of integrity in a person would find themselves always ascending into a position of leadership, right? And that is to be valued. And yet what we're going to discover today is that sometimes integrity makes you a target, a target to be taken down. And that's what's going to happen to Daniel. And as we begin here, I said integrity that makes you a target. And the first thing is that Daniel does advance again. I mean, all those things I just described to you do allow him to rise up again and be seen. Remember last week where we left off. Last week, we saw the transition from one kingdom to the next. In Daniel's famous dream in the first part of this book where where. He has the vision of the statue, and the different parts of the statue have different medals, and they represent kingdoms, superpower kingdoms. The head was gold, and that represented Babylon. Babylon was the best of all of the different parts of the statue, but yet even Babylon, the best, comes to an end. And we saw that last week. And the next part of the statue is the Medan and Persian Empire, and we heard the story how they... they even though those great walls were there, they came in underneath and took over the city, and there's this transition. Well, like in any transition, when the new power takes over, they got to set everything up. I mean, just like if a business was to take over another business, they're going to organize it, and they start to look for, hey, that, that person was really good in the company we just took over. Let's keep them in a position high up because they're familiar with everything, and this happens to Daniel. He finds himself in this broad category of, of <clears throat> elite leaders. There's 120 satraps, it says. And then there were three presidents of whom Daniel was one, and they were all going to report to these three presidents. And in this scenario, Daniel is going to rise up above all of them, above the 120, which he already is, but then the, the three presidents and he is going to advance again to be the second highest person in the kingdom. And so what I put here was his quality is recognized by the king. I mean, there's a saying in Guam that goes like this. It's not what you know, it's who you know. There's so much connection and, and families. And, and I went to high school with that person. And, 
It's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's how you get in and land jobs. And, but not with Daniel. And then with Daniel, it's the complete opposite. What you're going to see with Daniel, it's, it's what he is. It's, it's, they're going to see something in him. And it does speak to having that integrity, right? And so <clears throat> the king is going to notice him because it says that the king, it says that to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So just listen to that. He saw something in him. He stood out. And his plan is to make him over everything. So there's a plan. The king recognizes it. Imagine he he makes it known to all of them. We're going we're gonna to elevate him. And in between that kind of maybe private declaration, Daniel, we're going to promote you to overhear the actual official, you have the position. In between that is everything we're going to read right now. The whole story happens in between. He doesn't make it over here where he becomes number two because people are going to plot against him to bring him down. That's what's going to happen. But in this moment, I want you to see the king recognized him, and uh, the king liked him. Later on in the chapter, and I'm going to skip ahead just so you see this, verse 14, when he finds out that this trap gets set, and he's forced into to, to, to throwing Daniel into this lion's den, he says, the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And then later, it goes down, uh, the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Now just think about that. That shows you how much he liked Daniel. I'm going to elevate this guy. And then suddenly he's caught in this trap and he wants to save him. And that I think points to not only was he good at his job, but also because of his excellent spirit. He was always liked except by his enemies who were jealous. And well, I'm going to... Uh, allude to some reasons why. But in this moment, I want you to see that. I mean, I was just thinking about someone who owns a huge company. I mean, because this is a kingdom. It's got to be huge. And, they, and, and charges are brought to this, about this employee. And the charges are bad and they're, they're, they're accurate. They're accurate. I mean, what they say about Daniel is true because it was a trap. They laid it out that way. Would the, would the, uh, the owner of that company do it what this king does, he, all day, you go try to solve this. You, I'm sending you out. We're going to solve, how can we make this not happen? And then in the end, when he couldn't change the result, he went and he fasted. And don't give me any diversions. I'm dedicating all of myself to this employee because I don't want anything bad to happen. That says a lot about Daniel and what he saw in him an excellent spirit. And I, I, I've been saying through this whole series, there is something for us to learn. When Jeremiah says, go live in the city, serve the city. If the city does well, you will do well. Then our relationships that are mixed into the people of that city, is that how they see us? Do they see God's people as, we love them. I will go all out to try to save them. Well, his quality is recognized. Also, his integrity is discovered by his enemies. His integrity, it, it's interesting that they are going to try to bring him down and they can't find anything to bring him down with. 
And I was just thinking about this, right? Uh, in politics today, you step out. I'm going to serve in a public office or a Supreme Court justice. They will go all the way back to high school to try to find something you did that they could put out there to muddy your name to bring you down. And just imagine right now, if there was an organization with, with limitless money and resources and people and lawyers who were after you, we're going to find something about you. And every, every uh, uh, detail to, to the jobs you've worked in, to the relationships you've had, private relationships, to your emails, what if everything you've texted, they're combing through in your social media, and they just need to find something. What would they come up with? Just think about that. I'm talking about you right now. What would they find in your life? Because it does say something about integrity and taking something and hiding it in the closet and say, I hope that never comes out. And it's possible that these kinds of things can, can damage, right? But I just think about the organization behind trying to bring someone down. They want to bring Daniel down. As we read through this, in verse 4, the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now, what that means is they were trying to find an issue with his job performance. They're combing through all of that looking for discrepancies, even like, is there one area he, he, he's not good in? Is there one area he's not faithful in? They can't find it. And it uses the words faithful. And it uses the words no error, no fault, excellent spirit. That's what they find. And imagine them coming to a meeting. All right, how are we going to bring this guy down? What'd you find? Nothing. What? Nothing? Come on. And so where are they going to go? How are they going to bring him down? And they say, it says in the next verse, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They're going to get personal with him, right? They're going to go after. But for right now, his integrity, even by his enemies, is discovered. Okay, so now I'm going to ask this question. This is my next point is, is Daniel's integrity a problem? Really? Question mark, right? Like, how is, how is integrity a problem? Isn't integrity something we all want? And the answer is, it should be yes. But sometimes, no. You know why? Because there are people who want to avoid it. I remember in high school, I worked at Baskin Robbins. I scooped ice cream for a long time. I had forearms like Popeye, you know? And uh, <clears throat> in this setting, though, even at the level of ice cream server, there were people without integrity. There were people who were making things and setting it aside to take home. Oh, it's not that big a deal. It's a $5 thing, right? It's not that big a deal, but it's, it's stealing. I mean, there's an owner, and the owner is losing out if all of his employees act in this way. And I remember that remember this vividly. I remember the, them saying, we're tired of ice cream. They call up Domino's. Hey, Domino's, you tired of pizza? Because we're tired of ice cream. You guys want to swap? And the pizza guy would show up and say, why is the pizza guy here? And he's coming in with a pizza and they're over. They knew where the cameras are too. Like you got to walk, you know, over here and then, and then they're trading ice cream for pizza, you know? And I, I had a friend 
who later in his life owned a Taco Bell. And I remember talking with him and he said, it's so hard. I had to put cameras in to watch inside Taco Bell and in the back because there's so much theft that goes on. Now just imagine at the level of ice cream and tacos elevated to the level of there's a lot of money at the highest level. The temptation for stealing and cheating and dishonesty. And, I, and so there's a few thoughts I'm going to lay out here for you because integrity, see, is a barrier to bad intentions. Because it's kind of like uh, that employee is not in on the ice cream heist. So what happens to that employee? Marginalized? At least we're not going to tell him about it, right? And, it, and, and there's a way in which don't schedule him. Don't schedule him because then when he's here, we can't do what we want to do in that way. And see how integrity, there are people who don't want integrity in the, in the workplace. And these are my thoughts as I, as I was thinking about this, and I draw out of this passage. There are those who don't like accountability first. And I go up here to the top and it says, why did he set up these 120 satraps, these three pres presidents? It says, so that the king might suffer no loss. I mean, his motivation is that um, he doesn't want to suffer that kind of loss. And it could be in more than one way. It could be that, that they don't want to work that hard. You know, Daniel's a guy of integrity. I can't cut any, any corners. I could be an employee who doesn't apply myself for the eight hours I'm on my computer watching sports for a little bit, reading. I'm not applying myself. You know, there's ways in which we can steal different than carrying the ice cream out. And, I don't, and if there's someone there who I've got to be accountable to, then, then it's a barrier to that. See, they want to, and some of the, some of the study was, was saying it could be that, that there were actually some rings of, of like uh, uh, mafia type uh, stealing going on, like really organized theft. And Daniel, Daniel would have been a huge barrier to that because the king doesn't want to suffer any loss. So he's looking for people with integrity. And then you, then I put here, there are those who don't care about the boss, meaning if he misses out, he, they got, he's got a lot. Who cares if he misses out on some, you know, I don't care. And there's a way in which you can also work. And we, have used this term here at the church in our staff meetings, and, and we use, you might hear it out in the work world, but silos, like you have a farm, this huge farm, and there are these silos, and you're assigned to that field, and you harvest that grain, you put it in that silos, and you care about your silo, and you don't care about how successful the, others, the other parts of the farm are. As long as my silo is good, I don't care about, I mean, the boss doing well, that's the entire farm. So what I care about is mine. Maybe the, maybe the farm goes under and it doesn't succeed, but then as my silo is really good. I got something on my resume. I can move to another farm. I care about me. I care about me doing well in my job, disconnected from the boss, the company. These kinds of things exist. They don't care about the king. They really care about themselves. And the other thing, thing that I put here was um, they're going to make it personal. Daniel's integrity is a problem and they're going to make it personal because they're going to come after 
his faith, basically. These men said, we're not going to find a complaint unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And I think that, I mean, this even relates to us. You can be a person of integrity, but the values that you hold are in conflict with the majority values of the culture, and it's a way for them. Did you know that that, that, that employee, that they believe this? What? They believe that. They don't support this. Really? There's a way in which even through dropping little things in conversations can chip away at, at you because of, and in Daniel's case, his faith. We're going to see that as we go through this. But as I was preparing this, I was reminded of the writer in Proverbs said in chapter 20, verse 6, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And what he was stating there is, it's not easy, or it's very easy to find people who will do this, who care about their silo, who love themselves and their own success, wherever God's put them. It's hard to find a faithful person whose faithfulness is broader than just them. Even the writer of Proverbs said that. And this is why Daniel's integrity is a problem. And it leads me to the next point, which is their enemies are going to gather their strength against him. Their enemies are going to gather their strength against them. And the first thing I noticed was they unite through compromise. Okay? It says, first of all, it's this whole elite class. In verse 6, it says, Then these presidents and the satraps came by agreement. In other words, they had to get together. And I imagine, what does that look like? First, they're, getting, they're having meetings somewhere, this elite class of leaders, and they're like, how are we going to bring Daniel down? Send out the paparazzi. Find all the news we can on him. They come back. Don't got anything. Then we're going to have to go after his God. But whatever the meetings look like, you've got this diverse group of leaders who, who have their own individual agendas, their own silos, but they come to an agreement. They're going to unify around, destroy Daniel. The unity of this group who probably disagree on other things, but they're united against Daniel. And sometimes we can feel this as well. Well, we represent something and there's a class out there, a group of people who maybe don't agree on everything, but they're going to come together to bring, it, to bring you down, to destroy the values that you represent. And they unite through a compromise. They come to an agreement, it says, and then they utilize flattery. Beware of honey words. The Proverbs writer says, beware of sweet words that actually are meant to bring about destruction. And how do we get to this? Well, if you read through um, what they say to the king, through verse 7 all the way down to verse 9, in this section, which Alex read, they basically come to the king and they say to him, we have this idea to honor you, and here's how it's going to work. <clears throat> We're going to set aside a time period, and in that time period, all the honor in the kingdom has to go to you. All of it. Nobody else can um, set aside time to give honor to anyone else. God, another leader, it's only got to be you. And at, at, at first glance, you look at that and go, well, it's kind of weird. Why would you make a law that's only like a time? I mean, what if, you know, our politicians say, hey, we're going to come up with this law, but it's only good for uh, two weeks. 
Well, why? I mean, it takes longer to make a law, <laughs> right? And in a sense, it's like a one-time holiday that they're trying to create. And as I was, re- I was kind of reading about this, and it's like, why would the king even give into this? And he must have thought, well, they're trying to honor me. They're trying to give me honor, and they're going to set this aside. But, but he's unaware of, of what is hidden in all of this. And that's why it's flattery. They come to him, and they're, they're, they're talking about how, how great he is and the honor, and let's do this. And we'll even make it strong. If, if anybody disobeys and dishonors you, we're going to throw them to the lions. I mean, that's written in to the law, right? And so they're using flattery, and then it, they set this legal trap. So I put here, they're, they're very skilled also at their job. They know the law, and they know the customs. And, and you get this from, from down in, uh, um, later in the, in the chapter where it says, the thing, which is the law, stands fast according, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And here's what they've done, and this is the trap. We're going to lay out this law, and they know once it becomes a law, you cannot change it. That was the custom of the Medes and Persians. And we even get a glimpse of this later on in history in the book of Esther, which follows after this chronologically in time. And you have a law that says you can kill all the Jews on this one particular day. And then the king finds out, my wife is a Jew. And he's upset about it, but he can't change it. That's the fascinating thing. You create a law that's going to kill my wife, and I can't even change the law. Why? Because that was the custom of the Medes and the Persians. And part of it is this, and this is how they trap him. They believe the king to be on this level of, of infallibility. And it's, it's weakness for him to go, I decree this, and then go, oh, wait a minute, I was wrong. And so they're trapping him with that, see? And the only way to deal with it then is to come up with something that might counter it. And that's what happens in Esther. They have to, they have to create a secondary law that said, okay, the Jews are allowed to fight to defend themselves on that day. And that's, that's what happened. But here in this case, what I'm trying to demonstrate is they've approached with, this, with flattering words and they know what they are doing. They are skilled. They know how to use the law against their own king to trap him. Okay? Now, uh, I also put here that they use falsehood. A lot of times in these things, they're going to paint it in just a way where there's not, it's not completely true. And so you go to um, verse 13, and it's just, they're, just, they're speaking to the king, and they say, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. And they're lying. That's not true. Daniel pays attention to him. Just because he worships his own God, he goes home and he prays to his own God, doesn't mean that he he he's, doesn't honor the king in an appropriate way to him. And so when they say the language of pay no attention is kind of like he, dis, he really disregards you. Like there might be this facade of working and serving you, but really he doesn't honor you, like underneath it all. And so there's a, a, they're painting him in a way that's not completely truthful. Flattery, uh, false truth, falsehoods, trapping with their skillfulness. 
And they're going to come after Daniel. Okay, so that's the first point. When integrity makes you a target. And maybe that describes in some measure you. I don't know where it is you work or how you live in the city and serve the city to try to make the city do well. But uh, our faith sometimes comes into conflict with the values of the world. And in this case, what we're going to see is they, they were coming after him. What does Daniel do? And the way I'm trying to preach this is I want to give it to you. What Daniel does is what you can do. It's not as if he's going to do something that none of, none of us in this room can do. The way he deals with the test, okay? And here's the first thing. The testing, testing the faithful, prayer is our necessary weapon. Look what Daniel does. It says in, in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So that was the line. When, when it became a law, right? He knew it can't be changed. That's it. And we live in a culture where we can fight to change laws, right? I mean, we're trying to change gun laws sometimes. People are in abortion laws. And we see a lot of advocacy for these things. In that culture, no. And it says when the document was signed, he knew. Okay, that's it. Set in stone. He had decisions to make. It's a test. Are you going to submit to that or will you honor your God? And it says... After he knew it had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open to, toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And there's a lot in that little passage. But the thing I'm trying to show to you is that prayer is our necessary weapon. And the first thing he does, he, he hears that it's signed. What does he do? He goes home and he prays. And maybe that's the first thing that I would give to you. Whenever your test comes... Whatever the hardship, the trial is, the first thing is to take it to God in prayer, to give it to Him, to pour your, pour your heart out to Him. And this is important because prayer is how we communicate. It's the relational aspect to God. In the same way in a marriage, you're talking, right? Prayer is our talking to God. We're lifting up to Him our heart, our feelings, our needs. Help me with this, God. That's the first place to go. Go to God in prayer. And it's a war. It's a war. We get this from the book of Daniel. And owning the air, just think about this. My prayers go upward to Him, right? That, that air battle, the fight for that, to have that, we see that in modern day warfare. The first thing a when a, when a war is going to break out, even when Russia was invading Ukraine, what did they do first? They sent in the planes, and they had targets. Take these targets out. In World War II, the Allies dominated the skies. As soon as they owned the skies, the Germans were in trouble. They couldn't move anything around on the ground. doesn't matter how strong you are on the ground. If they can come in the sky and you can't do anything to their planes, they're going to blast you on the ground. There has to be a fight for the air war. And you know what? You see it in the book of Daniel in a way in which you wouldn't even imagine. And we're going to cover this later on in the year, but I'll, I'll show you a glimpse of it in Daniel, um, Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. Daniel is praying for his people. 
And this is what he says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the, in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice, and he made me understand, speaking. You see what happened there? What it says is he's praying. Just imagine, have you ever prayed? Like, like maybe you're, you're, you're in your room, and you're on your knees, and you're praying, and in this scenario, you know what happened? While he was still praying, Gabriel pff, appears. I've got an answer for you. And it's like this. You prayed. God heard it. He dispatched me. I came from heaven to you, and I got an answer for you about your people. It's one of the most fascinating uh, prophecies we're going to look at later in this study. But here's my... Because he was heartbroken for his people. And he's saying, what about us? And he gives him an answer, right? But just one chapter later, chapter 10, um, verse 13, he's praying again, and there's no answer. No answer. So this is what Daniel's like. I prayed, I prayed, and then boom, he was there. And then chapter 10, I prayed, I prayed, and he's not there. I'm going to pray some more. Where is he? I'm going to pray some more. And it says that he did that for three weeks, I think it was. Three weeks. Yep, 21 days. 21 days. The, and, and, and Daniel's like, so why? Last time you, you answered me right away. How come this time it took you three weeks to answer me? And this is what the angel says to him. Chapter 10 says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the king of Persia. And came to make you understand what's going to happen to your people in the latter days. Wow. Spiritual warfare in the skies. Connected to prayer. He's praying. The answer's supposed to come. And he says, I was met by the prince of Persia. Who's the prince of Persia? The prince of Persia is some type of demonic entity. And the Bible says that, that Satan has his demons organized. Okay? It uses the language, military language. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul writes, but against principalities. And, and the language there that Paul uses is it's an organized thing. And it's like the prince of Persia, this one, the prince, that means he's the, the one that's over all of Persia. So it must be like Satan's like, you got Persia, bring it down. And here comes an angel. He's coming through our skies. I'm going to meet him. And, there, and there's a conflict going on. And he says, I, I, I couldn't beat him until God sent Michael, the archangel. You don't mess with Michael. He's the top angel. Okay. Huge, strong, right? He helps him and he gets out of that. And just imagine that. Would we ever even be in that scenario? How come you haven't answered my prayers? There, the, the thing to think about is Daniel goes to prayer right away. When the biggest test of his life comes to him, he goes to, to God in prayer. And this scenario that I'm reading to you, chronologically, it actually happens before the story of Daniel and the lion's den. So he's already in this fr fr frame of mind that there's spiritual battles that are going on up there. I better pray hard. But I pray hard and commit myself. And the Bible lays that out. The fervent 
prayers of a righteous man prevaileth much, the Bible says. Think about that line. That's a teaching to us. That means you better be fervent in your prayers. Not a one-time thing. This would be bad if Daniel's like, the greatest test of my life. Well, I better pray right now. And some of, some of us are like that. We, we don't really pray that much until something bad happens. And it's like, uh-uh, let me get out my spiritual quarter, put it in the, uh, the uh, uh, machine, uh, the vending machine of God. I'm going to hit the button. What do I need? I need, uh, I need this button here and see what God gives me. No. It's not what Daniel gives us in how to, to deal with the situation. Prayer, the Bible calls us to prayer. Even in the context of the, of the community of the church, do you know that James writes, he says, when you're sick, call the pastors of the church to you and they will pray for you. And by the, their faithfulness and their prayers, you will find healing. Did you even know that? Did you know that verse was there? Some of you know that because some of you actually write to us and say, can you come pray for me? And we try to do that. But my point is, is this, is prayer is a necessary weapon. When the big test comes, number two, consistency is our secret weapon. And I use the word secret because you should know this. You should know it. If you do something right over and over and over again, you build something into you. I mean, I'm a coach and we know that as coaches, we got to get the kid to technically do this right 5,000 times. And then it becomes built into them. They don't have to think about it in their mind. They react. Like the d- discipline is doing it over and over again correctly. That's what the word discipline means. In the New Testament, it's the word gymnazo, which we get the word gymnastics from. And it, 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 it pushes us towards that understanding that there is a, a discipline, just like in sports, to become really good at something. You do it a lot and you do it right. Obviously, if the kid you're trying to train, the, the skill he's doing, he's doing it wrong all the time, well, that's not going to build him up into the best player he could be. A good coach trains them to do it the right way, and if they do it enough the right way, and, and depending on the athletic ability they have, they can reach a point, they could be professional because they've built into them skills. And it's the same way in prayer, and you see this in Daniel, and you know why I bring it up? Because I think I put it, he was disciplined and he was patterned. He thought through the pattern and he was disciplined about doing the pattern over, excuse me, and over again. And I just, uh, I already read the verse and let me just highlight what it said, right? It said, first of all, it said, uh, it didn't say that he, he went home and opened the windows. He went home and started praying through open windows that were facing Jerusalem, you know what? As I was studying this, some of, some of the writers I was studying believed he had maybe a prayer room. But, but the way the language is, is that the windows were already open because of the regular pattern that he had facing in the direction of his faith. And three times a day, it says that he would do it. So he's going there three times a day where the windows are already open, right? There's a pattern and the discipline of doing it. And um, it says, it uses this phrase, as he had previously done, which tells you that he was faithful in keeping the pattern and the discipline of prayer in his life. That's how he dealt with this immense struggle, this test. And he was so disciplined and patterned. 
that even his enemies knew. His enemies knew. We're going to catch him in this. We're going to say, no, no honor, no prayer. They can only pray to you, king. And we know Daniel. We know his pattern. I don't know what it was like. Maybe they had like the stakeout across the street with the binoculars, right? Or back then, a, one of these, right? And it's like, just wait. Here he comes. This is the time of day. He's going to kneel down. We got him. Now we just got to go report. I mean, that tells you his discipline, even his enemies knew. And what the, what the, the courage of, of Daniel, leaving the window open. Some of us would have went, okay, well, I'm going to, but I'm shutting my windows. Let's, hey, honey, can you get the blinds? Right? Hey, now we can pray. Where no one knows, that's not Daniel. You can see <clears throat> he believed in prayer. It was his secret weapon in dealing with this test. And then I, I put in here God's Word is our sharpest weapon. Using the Bible can be part of our prayer as well. We go there, we get strength from it, we get discernment, we get encouragement, we get exhortation from it. And this might surprise you, but Daniel did that. And he, he had God's word. You might say, but pastor, he's in exile in a foreign land. They didn't have this, right? What did he have? Well, look at uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. Just listen to this. It says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, and he goes on to say what Jeremiah says. He has writings from the prophet Jeremiah, who's not living there. Jeremiah's back in, in hometown, and he's writing things and sending them, and he has them. He has all the letters from Jeremiah, and he's going to go to the letters of Jeremiah to find some strength, which actually become the Bible. They're included as, as part of God's Word. And in particular, what, what was Jeremiah saying? Well, in the same passage that I keep quoting to you, where Jeremiah said, go live in the city, serve the city, help the city. If it does well, you'll do well. Do you know what he said after that? This is what he said after that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that encouraging? The biggest test of my life, and I'm reading God's Word. It says, I have plans for you. Not destruction, not death. Hope. And then he went on to say, You will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Boy, he was seeking him with all his heart, wasn't he? Three times a day, facing Jerusalem, looking at the words of Jeremiah who were telling him, pray, and when you pray, you'll find me. That's how we face the big tests. We go to God in prayer. We get encouragement from God's Word. We can weave God's Word into that experience of praying. The enemies, they want, they want to destroy us. How do we survive the test? Daniel's giving us the pattern, didn't he? And then... We're getting close to the end here. God's word, well, I already said that, our sharpest weapon. The last part is the trap is set. And in verse 16, and some of these we'll, we'll, we'll pick up, go back and say some more about, but I just wanted to show this. In verse, just uh, towards the end, it says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast in to the den of lions. So Daniel 
faced with a test, can't pray, can't practice your faith, got to pray towards the king. He says, I'm not going to do that. Yes, God's word says we honor and submit to civil authority, but if civil authority ever issues a law that compels us to break God's law, then that's where we don't have to comply. And Daniel says, I'm going to pray. And he prays, and then he's going to be met with the consequences. And the history of the church is full of stories of martyrs who did the same thing, but their ultimate hope is eternal. And we're going to see what happens to, to Daniel, because Daniel's going into a pit with hungry lions, right? So we're going to land this. I'm going to give you three applicational points quickly that you can take away. Okay, and so my last point is our greatest test will come. And here's what I have to show you. Number one, we're never too old for God to work in us. I have to remind you, Daniel's in his later 80s right now, right? I mean, he's going to get thrown in with lions. He doesn't even have the physical strength to fight the lions, right? Not that we would ever defeat a lion unless you're, you know, Samson or have a slingshot like David, but, but he's an old man, now, I think the West, the church in the West, is very easy to fall into the mindset that when we get to the end, it's retirement. When we get to the end, we're going to coast and enjoy the fruits of all of our labor. And yet we find Daniel at the end of his life, his biggest test is there. His biggest test comes late in his life. And honestly, that happens a lot in Scripture. How old was Abraham? When God said, put your son on the altar and sacrifice him. What? I mean, you said I was going to be the father of a nation. This is my only son. I'm a hundred. Uh, the prospects aren't great. I mean, don't ever think that your biggest test you've already passed, which means we're always preparing, growing in our faith, so that when something strong comes along, we've built into us the strength to shoulder it. And then I put here, <clears throat> warfare can bring us back to God. I don't know where you are. Sometimes I find Christians that they've got a lot of faith in them, but not a lot of fire in them. And when we find the big test or, or challenges that come along, we find ourselves going, I need to, go, I need to get down on my knees. I haven't been faithful enough in depending on God's word or taking my life to him in prayer. And this is what these big spiritual battles can do for us. They can draw us back to God. And then just lastly, without prayer, everything is built on men and pride. See, there's a way in which your test can come and you don't. You, 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 you don't go to God. And it's like, I'm going to maybe token gestures to God. But the whole theme through this about uh, mankind is our temptation to pride. Nebuchadnezzar, look at what I have built. Look at what I have done. Next thing, God humbled him. And there's a way in which hard tests bring us back to God where we are on our knees and we're praying to him. It brings about greater humility in us. Where was Daniel? He was on his knees. There's a, there's a piety that is built into us through these kinds of experiences, and God loves the humble. He gives grace to the humble, not the proud. 
And everything about our world will build us up to be prideful. And sometimes God has allowed the challenges in our life to keep us humble, to put us on our knees, to pray to Him, to bring us back to Him, to say, God, I need you. I need your help. Because it's possible for someone to have a faith experience and to go through this whole entire life without the challenges that really build faith. And because of that, they fall away. And so there's a way in which challenges also measure us that way. Genuine faith comes out of these experiences because you find yourself like, I've got nowhere else to go but up in prayer to Him. And these are the, the, the exhortations that I give you. These would be the, the um, encouragement that I would give you. God sees and God knows. Take it to Him in prayer. And as we live in Babylon and we live in cultures where our faith is not the dominant thing, we're going to have these kinds of challenges. And so Daniel is a great example to us. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the life of Daniel. <clears throat> thank you that there's so much about him that we can relate to. Christianity is not the dominant force in our culture that perhaps it once was. There are a lot of values in our culture that are diametrically opposed to you and what you've made. You have made things in your image. You have put up institutions that are important to the life of, of culture and community that is being attacked. And we find ourselves sometimes having to make decisions that even though we might be the best of our job and have integrity, we become a target. So I pray that Daniel would encourage us <clears throat> to see what he goes through and to see how he handles it, that he goes to you in prayer, that there's a, there's a pattern in his life. When hard things come, it, it, it puts our knees on the ground and, and we humble ourselves. And you give grace to the humble. May we be a humble people that love the culture that we're in because you've set us up to do that, but know that it needs the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we could be agents for you like we see in Daniel and his friends to bring about the salvation and the prosperity of the culture you've put us in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll finish worshiping together.